0: this is Brock and Salk. Brock Hewitt is my hero. James Hewitt just punched me in the kidney. <laughs> on Seattle Sports. We're to you not really work that way, Sherm. This but, is a show that has my name it on does, it. It kind of does, though. Brought to you by Carter's Subaru, Volkswagen, and Acura. Now, here are your hosts, Brock Hewitt and Mike Salk. Hello. Hello! Well, no Brock Hewitt today. Instead, we got Brady Henderson in for the next three hours. An extended visit with our buddy, Brady. How we doing, man?
1: Good. And, uh... I wasn't late, so that means no singing. For no, me
0: it's too bad. I was sort of uh-huh. hoping you would sing. <laughs> what did you think of Maura singing yesterday?
1: Uh, you know, I heard all of the uh, the grief you were giving her. I yeah. didn't end up hearing her sing it. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh well, we can find a way to play that for oh, you. I'm sure, I'm sure you before can. the day no, is done. We don't done. have to do that. I mean, before the day is done, it doesn't
0: have to be right off the bat. But we'll definitely. I mean, she sang Chop Suey.
1: Oh. Wake up! Oh, that one. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if I hear right oh, head. I think you do, actually. <laughs> I, I
0: she changed the lyrics. It was uh, really tremendously well done. So, yeah, no singing for Brady. Thank you for being on time. We don't really you know, force our guests to sing generally. That's never been a
1: – but maybe we should institute that policy. Oh, that's the only thing that's been getting me here on time is the fear of – The editing. fear of singing. Yeah.
0: yeah. I like the idea of doing it to, like, DePoto or, like, whoever the next coach of the Seahawks is. Something yeah, let's like we'll see like, how that goes. Yeah, you're going to have to sing. I don't know what to tell you, Pete. I guess it's not Pete anymore. All these years. Brady, are yeah. you
1: sad that we'll no longer I, be waiting on Pete? I, I'm going to be honest with you. That was one thing that crossed my mind is we have heard the <laughs> famous Mike Salk line – that it like clockwork comes over the uh, airways at nine thirty every Monday. Yeah. The, still waiting on Pete. Just waiting on Pete. Yeah, no longer going to be waiting on Pete. Right
0: now we'll be waiting on somebody else. Yeah. But uh, any final thoughts on that? I wanted mostly dig into the coaching search today, but uh, you know it's been a couple of weeks now. Any any kind of looking back, final thought? I was with a buddy of mine last night. Uh, my friend Chris, who both of you guys met, and he's like, "What do you think really happened with Pete?" Like he's like, he was shocked. He is a I would say Chris is a sports fan, but not like a day-to-day obsessed, you know, ups and downs of everything that goes on. He watches the games. He'll probably listen occasionally, but he's not like an engaged everyday sports fan. He's like, I was shocked. I was totally surprised that Pete Carroll was like, oh, and I was like, really? Because I wasn't that surprised. And I kind of have text messages with friends of like, "Yeah, you and I have talked about it. Like, We were both kind of like, I wonder if that's going to be the end for
1: Pete here. What do you think happened? I think his comment at his farewell press conference about how they lost their edge to be great, lost their edge in the in the run game and in playing defense. I think that really cut to the core of it. And and I, I know Brock had a very interesting theory on that about really digging into the why of that and about how, you know, with the new offseason practice rules, mm-hmm. you can't really practice that way that they used to. it. And you talk to players from those early days, like that's what made that team great. In addition to the players themselves, it was how intense those practices were. And you just can't do that anymore. And, and I wonder if that hurt them more than it hurt other teams. And look, when, when you can't do that, I don't think that Pete Carroll as like a, a game day coach was adding a whole lot at, like compared to some of these other coaches who are great at sort of managing games i think from from you know monday to saturday he's as good a coach as there is in the nfl um at sort of motivating players and getting players to buy in but then it also you kind of wonder like you had a team that was underachieving and i wonder if maybe that message wasn't mm. getting through to those guys for whatever reason that's not to say he lost the locker room per se but the message, for whatever reason, just wasn't getting through in a way that it so obviously did for so many years.
0: Yeah, it's funny. My my answer to him last night and where I go is a corollary to that. I think it's very much related, but I I focused on a different thing he said in his press conference, which was that he wanted to go fix it all, or maybe said it to us, yeah. that he wanted to fix it all the way. He didn't want to go halfway. He wanted to fix it all the way. And that, that's that been kind of ringing in my mind for the last couple of weeks, and I wonder if because everything you just said, which I think is all true, it put an even greater need on him or a greater pressure on him to hire the right coordinators. And that over the last half decade or so, they just haven't had the right coordinators. If Pete's not bringing that extra juice on Sundays, which is fine, you better have a coordinator who can do it.
1: And he and, wasn't. And he, he and hasn't he done that. Yeah.
0: And I, I still have my my pet theory, and I can't prove it. It's just gut. I have no behind-the-scenes knowledge, is that Pete wanted to make major changes in the coaching staff. And that Jody said, yeah, we're just not going to do that. Like, th- this is it. You've had enough coaches. You've had enough hires. I just kind of lost trust that that's the way this is going to work,
1: right? And and that's not to say that she wanted necessarily to stick with the coordinators that they had, because right. I I don't I mean Shane Waldron I don't think he no, was just, going to be. I back. don't
0: trust you to hire the right people, right? Yeah, that yeah. that's kind of ultimately where I've landed, and that's gut feeling that has nothing to do with fact, that is not a report, yeah. that's no behind the scenes information or anything like that. I want to be very clear it's just been kind of my gut feeling on how that that final conversation may have gone down and why Pete ultimately isn't here but that puts us now you know as the seahawks go really methodically looking for a head coach we talked to tom Pellicero yesterday and he truly believes that this is open
2: I, I don't think that there is a favorite right now in seattle that's that's my honest opinion
0: obviously he goes from on from there but he he truly believes There is no front runner right now that everybody who's in this is being interviewed legitimately with a chance to be the next coach of the Seahawks. And so I got to ask you a question for, with all of these names that we've heard, why isn't Mike McDonald? Why wasn't Mike McDonald interviewed? Like that's the one thing that came out of this over the last couple of days. He's a defensive coordinator in Baltimore. Yeah. KJ was raving yesterday about everything the Ravens do. Uh, What's his name Steven Ruiz Was on the station Yesterday I believe with Bump and Stacy And listen to what he said About McDonald's Beyond the stuff
2: That you can even see On the field Like you can watch his film And see why He's such a great Defensive mind Why the Ravens Are so good on defense But like when you talk To people that work With him and work Under him It's his ability To teach And to relay messages And I think that Is what matters more As a head coach I think his X's and O's are going to come in handy if he ever gets a head job, but I think that's what his organization, his vision, his his ability to organize the defense. I don't know how that's going to translate to the other side of the ball, but you would think that it would translate a little bit. And if if he's as good at putting together a defense as he is as hiring an offensive coordinator, then he's going to be a really good head coach. Why
0: haven't they interviewed him?
1: Uh, yeah, I am not entirely sure of that. I think I think what we can say is that they definitely missed their window to do that. Now, the way the the cadence the interview cadence works and the rules that the NFL hands down, um, in order to do a second interview with a candidate who's still in the playoffs, they would have had to interview him. Um, I think the the during wild card weekend. Uh, and they didn't do that. Now, did they not do that because they didn't get the request in time? Because they he wasn't mm-hmm. really on their list at that point. I don't know. Um, but for whatever reason, because they didn't interview him that week, right? They now have to wait until it seems after. Bizarre
0: that they wouldn't have done that. And and the only thing I can take from it is that they actually just aren't really interested in hiring a defensive coach. That when 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 push comes to shove, yeah, they've interviewed Avero, they've interviewed Graham, but that when push comes to shove. They just want to hire a guy that's on the offensive side of the ball.
1: You know, I've heard that there's interest in McDonald in the building, and, you know, I also don't know why you would cast such a wide net, which the Seahawks are clearly doing. Right. I mean, there's at least nine guys that they've interviewed at least one time, and I think that there's, I think that there's more people in play than just the nine that we know about. Why would you not interview the coordinator from the best defense in the NFL from one of the most stable organizations in the NFL – like that, that doesn't make sense to me that he just wouldn't be on their radar to begin with. I think it has something to do more with just the timing mm. and the fact that they missed that initial window uh, to get a second interview with him. And but that so this means now that they've got to wait until whenever Baltimore is done, that's when they can have yeah, such a him. it
0: just seems like an oddity given the whole thing. Now, I I will state once again, I, I say this every time, and I've said this for years, it has nothing to do with the Pete Carol the post Pete Carroll search. I think that looking to hire the best coordinator from the best team is the height of stupidity. Yes. I I really just can't stand that, that. But that is what we all think every year. Like, oh, this team's in the playoffs and look at their defense. Their coordinator must be the next best head coach. And I just, it feels so foolhardy to use that as, not that it should matter zero, but I guess it's just sort of all we have to go on because we don't know the personalities and and abilities of all of the coordinators around the league.
1: Yeah, that feels like the move that an owner, when when the owner is the sole person making the decision, that feels like the move the owner makes because that's something that they can hang their hat on. tangible. That's that's something that they can sell to their fans as, hey, this is the right guy for the job. Look at what this defense or this offense that he coordinated the last couple years did, and it's not really digging into – the heart of like who the guy is, mm. what kind of leader he would be. I mean, the, 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 kind of, you know, history that gets thrown around this time of the year, which I think is very instructive is that, you know, Sean McVay coordinated some pretty average offenses in, in Washington and Andy Reed was not even a coordinator. He was a position coach when he got the job. Dan
0: Campbell was not a coordinator. Right,
1: right. It's, it's, it's as much Mike
0: Tomlin a, was not a coordinator.
1: Yeah. And I mean, John Harbaugh was a special teams coordinator. So it's, it's like the the right guy for the job is the right is the guy who can lead a group of 53 men and who can teach and who can assemble a great staff and who can be a great sort of game manager on game days. It's not just the guy who coordinated the best offense or
0: defense. So let me uh, follow up on something you just said, that that in addition to the candidates we know of, you believe that there are more names in play. Tom Pelissero, who's been on fire reporting all this stuff over the course of this season, said this to us yesterday about Vrabel and Harbaugh.
2: I'm not aware of them interviewing those two specific guys, Jim Harbaugh or Mike Vrabel. I don't – listen, you never say never on anything in this, but I don't really anticipate – it going that direction.
0: Obviously it's not going to go in the Harbaugh direction now yeah. as he got
1: hired, but is Vrabel truly a non-option here? He always seemed like, um, like a guy who would, would make sense. It wouldn't make sense for different reasons. He would make sense because I think he and John would, as the kids say, vibe together. <laughs> like he and John seem like they are two kind of guys who would really get along. And that is frankly, when you talk about the fit, like the the right fit, it's not just who would be the best head coach. It's who would who would John mesh with. he worked so well for Pete Carroll for fourteen years. John knows how important that GM head coach relationship is, and that's going to be part of this search. I think he would make sense in that regard. I just wonder if if the edict from Jody Allen is to maintain the, you know, quote unquote, positive culture that they've had here. I just wonder if he would really fit that bill as much as some other guys. It's it's not to say that he's a, a Bill Belichick clone and he just gets up there and mumbles and he's dour and you know all that, but he does come from that Patriots system, which is the complete opposite mm-hmm. of you know what the culture in Seattle has been. And so I wonder if he would be the right fit in that regard. Now, there, there's also look. These are just the the. The things that we know about there, there's so much, so many other behind the scenes things that we may not be privy to, like how much money is a guy asking for. Is if he's asking for Bill Belichick type money, that could be a non-starter. Um, so th- there's just things that we don't know about. But those are the two reasons that I would theorize as. Uh, Or that would be the one reason why I would theorize where he maybe not be as in play as others.
0: We got like two and a half more hours of this sort of brilliant observation from Brady Henderson. This is going to be fun today. We got a a long, extended time with Brady. We'll come right back, give you guys everything you need to know. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com.
1: Need to know. 15
0: minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know up first. Yeah, Jim Harbaugh not going to happen here in Seattle. He's officially off the board. Lands in Los Angeles yesterday. He will be the head coach of the Chargers. A huge coup for that franchise, which has always been kind of second rate and certainly in Los Angeles tenant in that building, but they get a big name coach in Jim Harbaugh who will take over. It also oddly means that both coaches for the teams that played in the college title game are both not in that job anymore. I cannot think of any time in any sport College or pro, where that has happened, where both coaches from the championship are not with their team by the time the next year begins, it's truly bizarre and unique. But anyway, here in Seattle, we'll just uh, keep going through it. They're methodically interviewing candidates. Mike Kafka was in yesterday for a second look. Tom Pelissero says that uh, there's no front runner here. I mean,
2: I would say it is truly open at this point. Um, you know, John Schneider's waited 14 years to. Run a coaching search himself. He's, you know, always prepared to be able to move forward here. And I think that they kind of really value within the organization the opportunity to get a lot of different perspectives.
1: Yeah, there, there's. It should be no surprise that this search is moving at the pace that it is, and with the volume uh, that it is. With with it, at least, I would say, at least nine known candidates that they've interviewed. As Tom said, you know, Sean's, uh, John Schneider's been waiting a long time to do this. This is also an organization that over the years has prided itself on, you know, leaving no stone unturned and kicking over, uh, you know, kicking every tire when it comes to like free agency and player acquisition and stuff. And so um, we heard John Schneider say in his press conference a week or so ago that, you know, they're going to use this opportunity to learn. And and this is an opportunity to really pick guys brains. And I do think that, you know, one of the guys that they've interviewed or that they are interviewing who doesn't end up uh, being the head coach hire. I very think there's a strong chance. One of those guys could be a coordinator in Seattle and, you're using this opportunity not just to vet them as potential head coaches, but also to, to vet them as potential coordinators. You and the I think guys who have a job right now? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now that would technically be a lateral move for some of those guys, but it might be a better opportunity <laughs> than what they were in. Let's say Mike Kafka, for instance, the offensive coordinator for the Giants. Uh, you know, he's under an offensive minded head coach and Brian Dable, who, you know, there was speculation that Dable had overtaken play calling duties from him last year. So uh, would would Mike Kafka be you know, eager to kind of move out of Brian Dable's shadow for what is on paper a lateral move? Yeah, I think so.
0: Here's the second thing you need to well, know. Well, yesterday we found out that Beltre, Helton, and Mauer were all headed to Cooperstown. Mariners fans going to be understandably looking at next season as a big one. Ichiro and Felix both going to hit the ballot for the first time. Ichiro is obviously a no-doubt, surefire first ballot guy. Possibly unanimous. I mean, uh, Mariano Rivera is the only guy to do it. Jr. didn't do it. Jeter didn't do it. I don't know whether Ichiro will. There'll probably be some, you know, old hack that doesn't vote for him for some stupid reason that, you know, thinly masks whatever real reason is underneath it. But Ichiro should be a Hall of Famer right off the bat. And then Felix is a little bit more of an interesting conversation. I think he deserves to be in. I am a firm believer that if you were one of the best of your era, you should be in. But there will be a lot of writers that say, yeah, he doesn't have the counting stats. He doesn't have the number of wins, the number of strikeouts that you normally expect from a starting pitcher to be in the Hall of Fame.
1: Somebody gets at least one person gets inducted every year, right? No, don't have to.
0: Nope. You got to get to 75 percent. If nobody gets 75 percent, nobody gets in.
1: Okay, that's interesting because because one of my thoughts on the baseball Hall of Fame, and as you know, I'm not a baseball guy. There's just too many people in there. I mean, I see guys on the ballot, like Ian Kinsler is on. But he's not going to get in. No, but okay. But, is it, but anybody, there's anybody guys. It,
0: anybody who played for a certain amount of time or racked up a certain gets on the ballot. Okay. So so you'll see a lot of names on the ballot. If they fail to get, I think it's 5% of the vote, they're off by the next year. So you have to get 5% just to stay on. Okay. And, you have to, and you can only stay on for 10 years. And once somebody gets to 75%, they're in.
1: I see. I so see. Okay. you'll see
0: a lot of names that kind of... Ian Kinzler's not going to be a Hall of Famer. Right. Felix should be. And, you know, I personally would not have voted for either Helton or Maurer. I would have voted for They Just the sheer numbers are so out of control. But I said it yesterday. Until Manny Ramirez and Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire and Alex Rodriguez and Gary Sheffield, until the best players of their era are in the Hall of Fame, it's real hard for me to put these other guys in. Here's the third thing you need to know. Nice win for the Kraken last night. A great time at the game. They looked really, really good. Out
2: for everly Take it away from him. And now Pitlick with the breakaway pass to Donato. Donato moving in. Backhand shot stopped by DeCore. A clear breakaway for the former Kraken forward. And
0: the other end, It's Tatar, That was a good piece of up and down action right there. Great save on one end from Joey Decord. Great goal on the other for Tatar. That was his first of two. Wenberg, McCann, Tanev, and Schwartz all scored as well. And uh, Vince Dunn looked really good in getting back on the ice. That's everything you need to know. Uh, we do a quarter past every hour here on the Brock. You didn't
1: want my thoughts on the Kraken? I didn't. No. Okay. Do you have thoughts? Uh, actually, no. Oh, okay. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> One of the great collabro moments. Have you uh, have you heard this Harbaugh thing? Have you heard? I, I more played all the weird Harbaugh stuff. I thought it was it. I thought we had all the weird Harbaugh stuff, but I came across one yesterday that might be stranger than any of the other things we've heard about Jim. Even Harbaugh. stranger
2: than his thought process
1: on why he wears khakis.
0: I don't know. I, I mean, as I said, I don't know that I want you know what, more let's not rank this. <laughs> okay. Let's 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 not choose favorites. It's a Sophie's choice situation. Like they're all Got it. they're all <laughs> so tremendously bizarre choice. that I don't know that I want to choose. But I will play you a little bit of Jim Harbaugh sound. And then Brady, I have to address something that you wrote just this week. We'll do it all next. Brock and salt, Seattle Sports on 710 and the Seattle Sports app.
2: This This is Brock and
0: Salk. Back in mornings from 6 to 10.
2: On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Uh,
0: Brady missed the post. He's upset. He was excited. playing a little war on drugs and he got excited. But came in a little too early. There it goes. Uh, Brady Henderson is in, the hitman, Brady Henderson, for uh, the rest of this show, which is great. Brock will be back, of course, on Monday, uh, and he'll help us with a little Blue 88 coming up here in 15 minutes. Before we get to your uh, Gino article, which I am very excited to talk to you about, I did want to play you guys this uh, Jim Harbaugh. I thought we had heard all the weird Jim Harbaugh stuff, right? The back and forth with Colin Cowherd, the awkwardness, all of the sort of, you know, the stuff with the khaki pants. But I came across this yesterday. This is from what? Pardon my take? This have you heard yeah. this on how Jim Harbaugh types and uses computers? Because <laughs> no. he doesn't use Word or Google Docs or anything like that. No, listen to this. I do everything in Excel.
1: What? What? <laughs> explain that. You type, like, actual letters and poems and everything Letters, every, in Excel. E-
2: everything in Excel. <laughs>
1: Why I draw is that?
2: Picture, I draw, draw pictures in Excel. Why is that? Excel is the first thing I learned, and, um, <laughs> and I've stayed with it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a theory. disciple of Excel. <laughs> we'll go to my office today, that, and I will show you, <laughs> and I will print out A Day in Football inspired by Owen, Owen Riesek and a nod to Ernest Hemingway and Old Man in the Sea.
1: But you're using Excel, but not for Excel. <laughs> Like, it's supposed about? to be for formulas and spreadsheets, and you're just using it as, a, as like a notepad I, I, I Word well, document.
2: Yeah. Do three to four lines or six.
0: You can, they can. Right. They can. I it's a it very overlap. versatile Rap text. piece yeah. of software. Yeah. Rap text
2: is what they say.
0: <laughs> My- That's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. He writes everything in
1: Excel. That's not what that's for. It's for no. Yeah. It's no. for spreadsheets. Yeah. Yeah. Pivot now- tables. Yeah, I, I would have thought that, first of all, when I imagine him typing, he's definitely a hunt and peck <laughs> For sure. kind of guy. Like yes. One finger on, yes. you know, is. In and work. loud, like Jeff Baker loud with the typing, too. Yes, Bob Condota loud. Not as fast though, because he's only got one right. one finger on each hand working. Like uh but but I would have I would have figured him for like a, a word perfect guy, like one of those totally mm. outdated word, word perfect <laughs> word document. Wow, yeah. yeah.
0: Or Microsoft
1: Works. Microsoft Works. That
0: was another old one. But yeah, no. Yes. He learned Excel and now if he has like he's I think that was a poem he wrote that he was talking about, but he wrote it in Excel. I I'd like I'm blown away by this fact of yeah. all the Jim Harbaugh thing. So uh he won't be here. He'll be uh he'll be a charger. And I am sad about it. I know you
1: guys wanted me to do like a little uh sad goodbye yeah, to too. Jim. Do you but want cheery. I don't know. That would have been fun. Monday mornings. Don't you think it would have been fun? There'd be a lot of uh still waiting on Jim.
0: Yeah, we're just uh, waiting on Jim to come here and be super weird. Yeah,
1: Say weird stuff to us every single week. That <laughs> yeah. We to try like, to figure out
0: what any of it means. I mean, I don't know whether we would have had as much good football conversation as we did with Pete over the years, but maybe. Do you think you would have ended up arguing with him? So I could see that happening. Yeah, yeah I think they're I mean, thinking
2: about all the fun, but I think he could be hostile at times. Yeah.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I argued with Pete almost every week. I mean, every week I would say wasn't something. Hostile. It passive argument. And Pete would be real. like, "Well, that's not no," and then tell me that exactly what I just said was <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> so, like, I don't know what it would have been like with Jim, but I think there would have been a lot of like awkward staring, where he's got that blank look on his mm-hmm. face, and he's just embracing the awkwardness. Yeah. And and you have to suffer through it because you're the radio host.
0: I think I would have been okay with that like I, I think I would have basically been fine with that just kind of hanging out and like letting it be, let it breathe let the awkwardness continue the um, bottom, bye. The bottom Give line me that whole buy thing is so funny. <laughs> Cowherd is asking him about like a like in a stock market, would you want to buy or sell the big Ten and Harbaugh thinks he means B-Y-E. here, here you like go. A buy the would... big
2: Ten feels like it's a buy for me. I'm like, can you sense? Do you have a sense of that and a feel for the conference overall? Um, a big, the Big Ten feels like a buy to you. Yeah, it does because how, how the, does it feel that way? Oh, it feels like the Big Ten <laughs> is on the come. It, it feels like there's momentum in the conference that I didn't feel. Oh, for. a buy like some, some something to buy yeah, as opposed buy. to sell. <laughs> yes. Oh, I thought I, I thought I'd buy week or.
0: It was like like buy. Bye. Oh, Bye. So, funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I guess you're right. I did, I was looking forward to that. I also think he would have been a pretty darn good coach here. He wins wherever he goes, and, you know, he plays a lot of the style of football that I think people in Seattle like. So very sad day as, as uh, I was bummed yesterday when I heard that he was going to be going to the Chargers. But so be it. We'll move forward and uh, wait and see who it's going to be. And then it kind of leads to some of the next questions like who's going to be the quarterback here? And Brady, you've been kind of like the voice in the darkness shouting about this for the last couple of weeks. Like, hey, guys, right after the Super Bowl,
1: there's a gigantic decision to be made. There is. Yeah. So five days after the Super Bowl, which is February 11th. So five days later, February 16th, uh, that is when Geno Smith's 12.7 million dollar base salary for next season uh, would become fully guaranteed if he's still on the roster. So this is the way the Seahawks and other teams um, structure a lot of their contracts where, uh, you know, because the SEACs don't fully guarantee money beyond year one, they use this kind of what's called, you know, vesting guarantee where uh, it vests into a full guarantee provided you're still on the roster by a certain date. Mm-hmm. So $12.7 um, million becomes fully guaranteed on February 16th, which effectively serves as. A deadline for them to cut him. Like if they're going to cut him, it's almost certainly going to happen before that date because they're not going to wait until after that date where the salary becomes fully guaranteed and then cut him. That's pointless because you, you still owe him that money. The reason you cut him is to, is to avoid having to pay him that money. So um, if they're going to cut him, that is the deadline. Now, cutting him is not necessarily the only way that they could move on from him. If they could find a trade partner, uh, that is another option. And to me, That seems like the more likely option of the two, meaning if they're going to move on from him, I think it'd be more likely a trade scenario because, and we've talked about this before, if you have to make that decision before February 16th, look, the the way that this coaching search is going, you may not even have a head coach in place until February 12th, February 13th. So uh, and obviously, look, this is going to be John's decision, but he's going to heavily involve that. I would head think. Yeah. yeah, so, so
0: what it, just because you brought up an idea that I hadn't really considered, if they were to trade Geno Smith, what's he worth?
1: yeah, I, if if a team is picking up that contract, right, the the 22 point5 million dollars that he's scheduled to make next season, I don't think a whole lot. I think you're probably looking at a day three pick. If at all now now maybe if the Seahawks were intent on 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 moving on from him this offseason maybe there is something that they could do you know finagling the contract we saw the Seahawks and Giants do that remember the Giants mm-hmm. um, paid you know, down
0: the contract right they
1: basically dropped down the salary to a minimum salary deal in order to make that contract more tradable to the Seahawks so there's there's a number of different things that you could do but if they were to trade him um, the deadline for that would be you know basically the start of free agency or or really before five days into free agency, because that's when he'd be due uh, a $9.6 million roster bonus. So the, that window right there, like, you know, before February 16th, if they're going to cut him and then before say March 18th, if they're going to trade him.
0: Wow. Yeah. What do you think, they, what do you think they do?
1: I, I think that there's a lot working against both a trade and a release Um the timing again of the release being that you know if you if you released him before February sixteenth, they don't have they they will not have seen any quarterbacks at the combine. They will not have met with any quarterbacks at the combine. So mm-hmm. you don't have a great feel for what's behind door number two and three. Well, you've seen film on them. I mean, yeah, but you haven't met with those guys. You haven't gotten the measurements on them, the medicals on them that you would get at the combine. So there would be a lot of unknown there. And again, trading for him, I just don't think you're going to get a whole lot in return. I, I think if they were to trade him, it would be more about getting rid of the contract than it would be about getting anything substantial in return. But I think the key point in all of this, Mike, is that, look, Pete Carroll was a Geno Smith guy. We, we heard that time and time again, and we saw that. Mm-hmm. Pete's no longer here, and there's a new person calling the shots. And I don't think that, that uh, John Schneider is a Geno guy to the same degree that Pete Carroll was. And so... The fact that Pete's no longer here, I think Gino's job security is not as strong. It it,
0: it leads to maybe a bigger, broader question that I don't know that I've heard asked, and maybe we should bring it up for, for the first time. With a new coach coming in, how significantly do you think the roster will change? If you're a new coach coming in to take on this job, are you looking to build with the current roster? Or are you looking to start a rebuild in your own in your own vision? And I don't know the answer, and maybe it depends on which of these coaches they go yeah. to, but we've, we've spent a while talking about questions you would ask a new coach or questions that a coach would ask John Schneider. I think that would be one they would each have for each other. Hey, if you hire me here, are you expecting me to use this roster and build around what you've got? Or do I have a few years to make it look like what I want? Because if it's the latter, I'm probably jettisoning Geno Smith and saying, yeah, I'm out. That's not what I want. Save the money. Let's go young. I want to build something in my image. Let's move it along. But if you're telling me that, yeah, I'm looking to basically build around this roster. Yeah. I want Geno Smith. And if I still find a quarterback, fine, he'll be the bridge. And if I don't, well, then we'll go, you know, offensive or defensive line with those first few picks and Gino will just be it for another year or two. It's yeah, that's that's,
1: a huge question. Right, and, that, and that's a great point and and you know that John Schneider is asking that question to every single candidate I would hope so. that he's interviewing. Yeah. And, and and it's a really good point because there are certain coaches that are very, you know, specific in the type of person like Ejiro uh, I- Evero, the defensive coordinator for Carolina who was with um Denver the year before who had been with Uh, the Rams before that, from what I understand about him, he is very rigid in the type of, of defensive players he wants at certain spots. So, you know, he, 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 that could be coming to play with him. Now he also comes from the, you know, Brandon Staley, Vic Fangio tree, which CX have sort of been running that defense here. So that may not be a huge departure defensively, but the larger point is certain coaches, if, if, you know, depending on what side of the ball they come from, they might have very rigid standards, standards for the types of players they Mm -hmm. want playing defense or offense and that could come into play here And, and look I don't think that John Schneider necessarily wants to you know tear down the roster that he's been building. Uh, for the last few years, there's going to be some of those players that move on just naturally because of production and contract. But yeah, I wouldn't think that he would want to completely start over roster wise.
0: Yeah. I, I think it would be a, a fascinating, if I could be a fly on the wall for any of these conversations between John and the coaches. Yes. I would love to hear about their leadership skills. Cause I think those are enormously important. Yes. I would like to hear about their visions. But I would sure love to know like, who on this roster they believe is worthy of being here long term and who they would just kind of move on from and, and look to bring in their own kind of guys. And, yeah, I think that would very much dictate to me what I would want to do with Geno Smith. I think he's going to be here. I, like To answer the question I yeah. asked you, I just don't think he is going to end up going somewhere else. It just seems like he's he's – not that expensive. You can always move on from him next year as yeah. well. And unless you knew for sure who your quarterback was going to be, unless unless there's somebody out there who likes Drew Locke and wants to you know commit to Drew less money for longer term, maybe. But at that point, why wouldn't you just stick with Geno? It's not that much money, and there's not that much of a commitment.
1: You know who really likes Drew Locke? John Schneider. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, that I mean, that's just – I agree with you. I, I think the most likely outcome huh. is that Geno Smith is back for, for at least one more year. They see if a new coach slash new offensive system can really – you know, get him back to that, you know, early 2022, even late 2023 form. I just don't think it's a a sure thing because the guy who was his biggest advocate in the building is no longer there.
0: Yeah. Well, Steven Ruiz, I mentioned was on the station yesterday with Bump and Stacy and he, he's definitely a Gino fan. I thought he
2: showed that the year before wasn't a fluke. Now the question is about his ceiling, like how far can he take this franchise? And I think those questions are legitimate I would like to see him get to play behind a more consistent offensive line. That's something we haven't really gotten to see the last two years in the second half. When he was kept clean, he was one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. When he was under pressure, he was one of the worst. It's it's kind of figuring out the right balance and getting an offensive line that can put him in those situations where he has been one of the better
0: quarterbacks. Well, And clearly they had their issues up front on both sides of the ball last year. And yet I posted that yesterday and Ray Roberts, great point from Ray, comes in and is like, Is that because of personnel, or is it because it wasn't a great scheme communicated very well to that personnel? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that.
1: Yeah, I mean, they started nine different starting combinations on their offensive But by the
0: end of the year, when they got worse, they were down to basically their starters. Like That kind of ended when they were better starting nine different combos.
1: Yeah, some in the middle of the season when they didn't have Lucas there and when they were switching guy. I mean, I, they weathered that sort of like the Detroit game. That I mean, I can't I still can't believe how well that offensive line performed in that game in that building with those two tackles that they had. But the, a few weeks after that, it really started to show. I think with Gino, it, it, he is kind of the the representation to me of this silly sort of way that we just some people tend to look at quarterbacks players generally but specifically quarterbacks where like we are in this age of social media you know surface level reaction where you're either trash or you're the goat and people leave no room for the in between when in reality there's a massive swath of that in between and Gino is in between there and sometimes mm. he plays great like a top 10 quarterback uh, sometimes he doesn't and so i think the the difference there is that you know, the, the, a key variable there is what's going on around him, and there was a lot of stuff that went wrong around him this past season.
0: Well, go uh, read Brady's column on this. It's at ESPN.com, or you can follow him on uh, the X platform at Brady Henderson. Right now, we'll ask him three good football questions. We call Blue 88. This is Brock and Sox Blue 88. Blue 88! We take you to the field as Brock Hewitt breaks down three football questions as only he can.
2: Now here's your hosts, Brock Hewitt and Mike Saul.
0: Well, we continue to rock out with our Brock out and Brady is filling in ably for Brock today. So Brady, question number one for all the Gino conversation. He's not the only guy with big cap hits this year. What are the options with Tyler Lockett? He's got a, what, $28 million cap number for 2024? What can they do?
1: Yeah, just about $28 million, which is a massive number for, for anybody. And I don't think that they can stomach that cap hit as it is. So I think the two likeliest options are, one, you add some dummy years onto the end of the contract and you basically do what's called a simple conversion. I'll I'll spare you the entire you know arcane explanation of that. But basically what you're doing is you're just pushing cap charges into the future so you're not paying him any less money you're not making those cap charges disappear you're just basically borrowing cap space from the next few years uh using it this year and then you're paying that cap charge down the road that's option number one I think that's typically a last you to, resort. You have to pay interest on that. No interest. Okay. No. No. You're just you're just pushing so if the it's cap nine million charges. over three
0: years is just three million a year. They don't hit you more by doing that.
1: Nope. Nope. You're just you're just kicking the charges down the road. Um. So you got to pay for it later, and that's they 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 will do that, but it is a, generally a last resort for them. The, the second most likely option is a difficult one, but I think a, a feasible one here. It's you go to him and, and ask him to take a pay cut and you say, look, let's let's say the salary is 16 million and change, I mean, hypothetically, you come to him and say, hey, we wanna bring that down to eight or 9 million and you give him the opportunity to earn the difference back in incentives. And I think as a guy who has you know, been here as long as he has, who has produced as much as he has, they would owe him that opportunity to, to at least win that money back. It's rare to get a guy to agree to something like that, to take a pay cut because the ego gets involved the agent gets involved I think in this case it's feasible because they have such a good relationship with the agent who they've done a ton of deals with and because Tyler Lockett is I think level headed enough to know that as an an, you know 30 plus year old receiver there's just not that many of those guys making the type of money he's scheduled to make on the back end of what was a pretty back-loaded contract and so uh, I think it's going to be one of those two outcomes I I don't think they're going to keep him with the contract as is with that nearly $27 million cap charge.
0: All right, question number two. That $27 million number is familiar because not just for Tyler Lockett, that's almost
1: exactly what Jamal Adams is as well. So what are the options with Jamal Adams? Yeah, I think it might even be a little bit more, maybe closer to $28 million with Adams, unless I'm mixing those two numbers up. But for the the reasons that I just told you why I could see Tyler Lockett maybe agreeing to something like that, I could not see Jamal Adams doing that. The the agent, they don't have as good of a relationship with the agent. And I don't think, frankly, that that Jamal Adams is as level-headed of a guy as Tyler Lockett is. And he and, and look, I think there's, you know, he would be justified in saying, look, you want me to take a pay cut when I haven't been producing in large part because I haven't been healthy. And it's one thing for a guy like Lockett, who has been healthy, it's a different story for Adams. I don't think he would be as amenable. To that kind of alternative, uh, as Lockett would, and, and look, I think the Seahawks are kind of limited option-wise with Jamal Adams. It's you know they could end up doing the same thing like option number one, where you tack on uh, you know some dummy years on the end of the contract and, and and push some of those charges down the road. But they have been doing that with him. I don't know if they're going to want to do that as much now. If the Seahawks were to cut Jamal Adams, I think you're talking about 20 million dollars um, in dead money over the next few seasons. Now the rule is with a post, if you were to designate him a post-June 1 release, you could spread those cap charges out. So 10 million this year and dead mm-hmm. cap 10 million next year. The thing is, you'd have to do that after the start of the league year. So if they keep him, if he's still on the roster by the start of free agency, that may not necessarily mean that they're planning on rolling with him. It could just mean that they've got to wait till the start of the league year in order to designate seems him impossible a post-June
0: one. To imagine he's going to be here next year.
1: Not on not on the current contract. It just Zero seems chance. Impossible to Zero imagine. Chance. All
0: right. Question number 3. <laughs> All right, we'll ask you to put your draft hat on, and by the way, we'll go a lot more in depth at 8:30. Matt Miller, ESPN draft anal- analyst, who I love. I think Matt does a fantastic job, and I'm looking forward to talking to him at 8:30. Uh, but listen to this on uh, on Michael Penix. So this was uh, this is Bruce Feldman, who was on. Do we know where? The, oh, this was with uh, Rich Eisen yesterday. Listen to what Bruce Feldman said about Michael Penix's draft stock. Some people think he is a top. You know could be a first round quarterback okay. some people think he may not get drafted what may not get drafted oh, and, 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 his, that, and his name is his name is michael pennix jr he may not get drafted in some and scout's the, cons- the concern for some people is going to come back to the medical piece because he had, did have four season ending injuries mm-hmm. so ultimately that's going to be what the doctors tell you know say that but then there's other parts of this where people are like you know i don't think he's uh he's we have a third round grade on him based on some of what they look and this guy If you watch the Texas game in the semifinal, it was spectacular.
1: Brady, where do you think
0: Michael Penix goes?
1: He's going to get drafted. Yeah, I mean, I I just cannot fathom him going undrafted. Typically, the reason why guys get undrafted is because, as Bruce said, there's some major medical concern or there's some major off-the-field concern. And unless there's something that we don't know about with Penix, uh, and and, and Bruce was saying that would be a medical issue, he seems like a pretty stand-up guy off the field. Um, but I do think that, yeah, I mean, the major injuries—that that is a—that is an aspect that can get a team to really drop a guy down on his draft board. I also wonder if, you know, maybe just the the, the frame—like he's not a small guy, but he is kind of a narrow guy. Uh, he's can, high cut. He's high cut. You combine that with the injuries. You combine that with, you know, maybe the the delivery. That I wonder if some NFL teams will wonder about how well the delivery will translate into the NFL. I mean, the delivery has not stopped him from being. A premier thrower of the football. I mean, Brock's talked about the RPMs that the guy mm-hmm. can generate uh, with that delivery, but I, I wonder if some teams will view that as maybe being a little bit too long, a little bit too awkward. And so, but that said, unless there's something that we just don't know about, I cannot imagine him getting undrafted. I mean, we see quarterbacks get overdrafted, right? It happens the other way where that guy gets drafted ahead of where generally the skill set would say he gets drafted. So, I mean, even if he's, you know, got some major medical injuries, some team is going to take a flyer on him if he falls to day three. There's no doubt in my mind about that.
0: That is blue 88. I'll go you one better. He can. There is no way he gets past the second round, even with the medicals, because generally what I've always heard about second rounders is first round grade, but a medical risk. Okay, he's a risk because he had those surgeries but he played for two full seasons after the surgeries and stayed healthy and stayed reasonably healthy throughout. I'm sorry. He may be a risk which drops him out of the first round cuz I think he's got first round talent. Okay, fine. Second round. If that if that guy falls to the third round and isn't selected, I think every general manager should be fired. Yeah. Like I just I think is his arm, his ability to do NFL things with his arm and with his mind, it, they'd be crazy crazy not to not to draft him.
1: Yeah, and I know he's a little bit older than what a typical rookie would be, but sure. look you see guys playing, you see quarterbacks playing late 30s, early 40s yes. now like I mean, that, that that might be an issue if you're talking about a running back or a wide receiver, or a, like a speed position. But as a quarterback, I don't think that's going to matter that much. All right, good stuff.
0: We'll uh, we'll get a lot more in-depth with that at 8.30. Matt Miller uh, from ESPN, draft analyst, will join us then. We'll come back. we got a whole lot more, two more hours with Brady Henderson here. And if you missed more singing yesterday, as Brady did, I promise you'll get an opportunity to hear it. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710seattlesports.com.